Good morning, everybody. Thank you all for being with us today. And happy first Sunday of September. I can't believe it's already September 2020. This year has flown by, but I'm so glad that you guys are with us this morning. Okay, full disclosure, this is actually being recorded a couple of days before uh, you're watching it. And so we're doing something today that we never do, which is uh, a message exclusively for people who are watching online. And then here in the service at Dream, they're having a service that's very localized and uh, more of the local family focused. And so that's going to be really awesome. We're praying over that. You guys be praying over that as well. And, uh, and the reason this is being recorded before Sunday is that me and my wife and daughter and my wife's family are at the beach. So you guys be praying for us to have a great restful week, uh, especially with the, the year 2020 has been. It's going to be awesome to just kind of get away for a week, but we'll be back to normal next Sunday. Worship, all that stuff will be live streamed. So uh, there's that. Okay. I feel like I have something that I am specifically supposed to share. And, uh, and I would say ironically, but it's not ironic at all on the week that we are streaming a message just for people who watch online. Because the, the majority of people, not everybody, but the majority of people who watch online are those who are either out of town uh, we have a lot of people who are maybe part of different bodies that aren't meeting right now and you're tuning in or that are meeting right now and, and there's a lot of people that tune in to us to get a little uh, deeper teaching and stuff like that. And we honor you. We're glad that you guys are with us. And um, But 2020 has been a very interesting year. And I know that's been a theme. I've said that a lot. Uh, there's been a lot of you know other leaders that have said that a lot. But I want to bring some perspective to 2020, and really this is all out of this morning spending time with the Lord and Him showing me some things. I don't know about you, I have been in a season that I can really only legitimately describe as lamenting. And uh, this, I guess really this started in March when things kind of took a crazy turn with COVID and, and leading up to now, even though things are kind of starting to get back to normal, there's talks of vaccines and all that other stuff going on. There, there's still this underlying feeling that things aren't, aren't exactly right. And, and so since March, as a leader of a church, everything we do as a church is based on people being here and being together. Well, when the church started scattering, uh, it, did, it did a great thing in that it caused people to really have to focus on the secret place. But it did a... I don't know, not so great thing in that it forced the body to not be together in the way that it was, let's say, in January and February. And, and specifically in our church, in February, I don't know how many of you remember this because it feels like it's been ages ago. But in February, uh, we were seeing the Lord do amazing things. Not that we're not now, but like uh, we were just seeing the Lord move and he was doing signs and wonders and and it just felt like we were hitting our stride as a church and as, as it just kind of relates to the Lord moving in how we were designed for the Lord to move through us as Dream Church. It felt like we were just hitting our stride, felt like we were that puzzle piece that finally slid into the right slot. And then the month after March is when COVID happened. And it's, it's kind of, it's not funny, but it's, it's, it's humorous in the sense that uh, we kept saying 2020 was going to be the year of clear vision, clear vision, clear vision, clear vision. And then uh, it's been, for a lot of people that I've talked to, maybe one of the worst years because of your job situation or if you own you know, farmland. We have some people that own farmland. They've had situations with it. 
and uh, not having enough workers and everything else going on in society right now, it almost seems like we got tricked. Like 2020 uh, disguised itself as this is going to be the best year ever just to get us in the door. And then once we got in the door, it revealed what it really was, which is actually in a lot of ways to some the worst ever. And, uh, and so I have been, and I know a lot of you have been in a season of learning what lamenting is. And lamenting, I know I've explained this a few times, but lamenting is really, really the idea that you take the raw feelings in any given moment, but especially a moment where you're doubting or in a moment where you're uh, in distress or in a moment of sorrow or in a moment of anger, you take that to the Lord and you don't hide all the bad pieces of it. You actually give him the raw pieces of it. And, and the goal of it is not to get answers. You might get answers through that, but the whole idea of lamenting, lamenting is actually an act of worship. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see this back and forth. And I know I've mentioned this a few times before in the past, but it seems like David is almost schizophrenic. Or he has like this, this dual personality where like in, in you know, Psalm 22, he'll be asking, Lord, where are you? You've abandoned us. I thought you were for us, you know, all that stuff. And then Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He's always with me. And so it seems like David is just going back and forth. But what he's actually doing is he's lamenting. So it's an act of worship. He's not keeping anything back from God. And so the idea is to not get answers to your questions per se. That's not the, the purpose, primary purpose of it. Like I said, you might. But the primary purpose of lamenting is to exchange burdens. And Jesus mentions this when he says, take on my yoke, which is easy, and my burden, which is light. So the idea is an exchange. And so in a moment when I'm questioning why things are happening, Lord, where are you? Why hasn't this changed yet? I begin to release that to the Lord. And as I give him my burden and as I give him my yoke, I then can take on his, which is peace, which is joy, which is trust. Faith is the assurance and evidence of what we don't see and hope for, right? So it's the moment where we can allow faith to be activated, trust to be activated, hope to be activated, even though we don't have answers, because we've given it to the Lord, we trust that he's good and he's gonna be faithful to his word. This morning, I was thinking through some things that were just going on in the world, and we, and we should be moved by the fact that um, over 100,000 people have died because of this. And what, whatever spectrum you're on, if you're you know, the conspiracy theorist type you know, person, or if you're the person that's you know, scientific and all that stuff, no matter where you are, at the end of the day, that many people have died because of this, right? And even if it wasn't because of that, that many people have just died in America, brothers and sisters. That should move us in a certain way. We, we shouldn't use that as just a st statistic to prove a certain political point. That should move us. And so it's okay for us to go to the Lord and say, Lord, this I don't understand. Or Lord, this I'm questioning why it wasn't moved in the timing that I thought it should have been moved in. And you take that to the Lord and then all of a sudden you begin to inherit understanding. You begin to inherit peace and joy. And so in the midst of all this, this morning, 
I was worshiping, I was praying, and the Lord sent me to a book. I don't know how many of you know this, but there's actually a book in your Bible that is nothing but lament, and it's called Lamentations, okay? Or Lamentations, you know, it's, it's kind of how you could break that word down, I guess. And um, the Lord sent me to this book this morning, and as I started reading through some of this, I found so many parallels to what we're walking through as a country and what Israel was walking through in exile. And so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to really teach prophetically today. I'm going to give you some insights that I believe the Lord has given me. You don't have to do anything with this if you don't want to, but I would encourage you to do something with this. I would encourage you to take it to the Lord and test it to see if it's something the Lord is convicting you of or showing you or diving you deeper into. Okay, so let's go to Lamentations. It's, uh, I guess, a little past the middle of your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Go through Jeremiah, and, um, and you'll find it right after. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. And he's writing this, he's writing this as Israel and Jerusalem both have been carried into captivity. When they, when they were exiled, it was a split kingdom. So there was Judah, who was one kingdom. There was Israel, there was another kingdom. Okay, Both of them went into exile. And Jeremiah is writing in a, in a lamenting posture in response to everything that he has seen in Jerusalem being led into uh, exile. So... I want to start Lamentations 2, verse 11. Hopefully you're with me. And I want you to hear this through the lens of 2020. I want you to hear some of this language, and and as you think through it, and as you pray through it, let the Holy Spirit show you the connections between what we're walking through and what they were walking through and how the word of the Lord never returns void, how it's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Think about that. One, one of the main, let me just mention this before we go in. One of the main reasons that we believe the Bible is true, that we know the Bible is true, is because uh, anything that would be made up in ancient literature, so a made up God or a false God, anything that had to do with something that has been made up always made sure to expose the best parts of that God that was made up and conceal all the negative parts of whatever God that they were talking about that was made up. And so one of the things that, that proves not just the legitimacy, but the totality of who Yahweh is and how he is the one and only living and true God is the fact that in scripture, we don't just have the best parts of the covenant with God. We have all the ups and downs of it. And you're about to see this, but the book of Lamentations is the prophet Jeremiah crying out to the Lord saying, I thought you were this, but it looks like you're this. I thought you said this, but it looks like you're doing this. And so if if there was a if there was any kind of inkling of an idea that scripture was trying to basically like propagate this this false God 
all of what I'm about to read is historical proof that Yahweh is the Yahweh that you've known, that you've been taught about, that you've grown up searching after, that knit you together in your mother's womb, that called you fearfully and wonderfully made and knew every single one of your days before you took one breath on this earth that chose you before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians, in love, that mingled you after salvation into the Messiah, united as one. That Yahweh is the Yahweh that we're about to read through and how Jeremiah processes this as he is lifting up in lament his burdens really started moving in me this morning and I hope it does for you. So we're gonna read a little bit but I want you to just follow along with me. I'm in the NLT. If you need to switch over, maybe you're uh, reading through it on an app. And I'm gonna start at verse 11 in chapter two, Lamentations. Some of you have maybe never read the book of Lamentations. Um, If you read it through the right context, it's one of the most encouraging books. If you read it just straight up, or through the wrong context, it's one of the most depressing books. Um, but I've, I've found so much encouragement through this, just knowing that a man as the prophet, as, as highly honored as the prophet Jeremiah was lamenting, to see that gives me and you permission to lament and then take on his burden, which is like unbelievable. Jesus on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? Is a cry of lament. You know? Okay, so Lamentations 2, verse 11. This is Jeremiah. He says, I have cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. My spirit is poured out in agony as I see the desperate plight of my people. Little children and tiny babies are fainting and dying in the streets. They cry out to their mothers, We need food and drink. Their lives ebb away in the streets like the life of a warrior wounded in battle. They gasp for life as they collapse in their mother's arms. What can I say about you? What can I say about you? This is Jeremiah speaking to Yahweh, God. What can I say about you? Who has ever seen such sorrow? O daughter Jerusalem, to what can I compare your anguish? O virgin daughter of Zion, how can I comfort you? For your wound is as deep as the sea, who can heal you? Now this is when he starts getting into some of the the depths of why they've been carried into exile. Here's some of this. Your prophets have said so many foolish things, false to the core. They did not save you from exile by pointing out your sins. Instead, they painted false pictures, filling you with false hope. Now, I read that. I've got it starred, marked, underlined, circled in my Bible because that burned within me when I read that. He said, they, who? The prophets. The prophets. They didn't save you from exile by pointing out your sins. In other words, had they prophesied pointing out your sins to lead you to repentance, it actually would have saved you from exile. But because they refused that and instead paint false pictures filling you with false hope, now you find yourself in exile. 
right? So how, so how, many, how many times have we in the American church, and I can only speak for the American church because I'm in America, right? But how many times, and this is where the prophetic stuff is coming out in this teaching today, how many times have we taught things in the idea that God is going to prosper you, he's going to do great things for you, He's going to make sure your business is the best business on planet Earth. He's going to give you the career you want. And listen, even if all that stuff is true for those who are in Christ, the primary idea behind all of that stuff is first and foremost being in Christ. And so what we did is we painted a glorious picture of all the benefits that come from the Lord without painting the true authentic picture of what it means to actually be in the Lord in the first place. And so we told people, if you'll repeat this prayer, you'll have money in your pocket. If you repeat this prayer, then your job's gonna be better than it ever was. And so we painted this this false hope. Why is it a false hope? Because the thing that we anchor our lives in is not having a better life in the world, the thing that we anchor our lives in is being so joined in union with Jesus that it doesn't matter what happens in this world because we've inherited another more excellent world. And so as we have moved through 2020, what we've started to see is Yahweh sending us. I've used the phrase exodus, but really what it's been is an exile. In 2020, Yahweh said, I'm going to give you clear vision. And what we saw is the church being led into exile. Buildings closed, doors locked, influencers' mouths shut. That's what we've seen in 2020. Not having the impact that we were having, not seeing the amount of salvations that we used to see, Or did we ever even see those in the first place? Were we seeing people born again? Or were we seeing people buy into the false pictures and false hope that we were portraying because we needed to make our ministry as big as possible? And it was never, it was never about that. It was never about trying to not offend people. It was always about making sure we don't offend God. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything out of a works-based mentality at all. I'm not saying anything out of a works-based, you're earning it mentality. However, however, if you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, which if you're saved, you are. If you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that means your life should look like the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So you don't offend God by your nastiness per se. You offend God by living in an identity that you don't have anymore. So if you're the righteousness of God, but you're living like somebody who is lost still, that starts to offend God who gave you freely the identity of righteousness of God. We have to start living our lives in accordance with the identity that we have inherited. But I don't blame people for that. I blame the prophets. I blame the leaders. The leaders in the church have got to start shedding light on not reaching the lost because we're going to do that. People, are, people get so mad when I talk about this. 
Well, brother, you don't believe in reaching the lost? No, I believe in reaching the lost, but I think we got to get the saved saved before we get the lost saved. The saved people aren't even saved. The ones who repeated a prayer haven't been born again yet. We've got to get those fully sozoed before we can get the lost sozoed. And if the book of Acts tells you anything about ministry or about the move of the spirit or about the move of the kingdom or especially about the move of the church, it's that a couple of people fully alive have the power to transform cities. But a lot of people halfway alive have the power not to transform cities, but to destroy them in the name of transforming them. Because here's what I would ask as a philosopher, because I believe that's primary what, primarily what my call is within a theological sense. Here's what I would ask, okay? What does it mean to save the city? Does it mean they're talking the talk and walking the walk and looking the look? Or does it mean that in the depths of their bellies, the Holy Spirit is moving them and they're operating off of the impulses of the Holy Spirit? Is it people being sozoed or people being polished up? Because I would argue that people being polished up actually does more destruction to the city than if we never even tried polishing people up. But if you start to sozo a handful, you'll see cities one in a day. Why? Because darkness is expelled by light. Darkness is expelled by light. So, so let me ask you this. You ready? Because this is just, this is how my brain works, okay? Is it more effective to get a thousand people to hold a little flicker of a candlelight to expel darkness or to get three or four to get stadium spotlights and shine them into the darkness? Three or four with a stadium spotlight are going to shine so much brighter into darkness than a thousand with a little candlelight. And we have spent years and years and years and years and years burning ourselves out trying to get people's candles lit when what we really should have done was get so conquered in the secret place that we become the stadium lights that are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. So that's why you had 120 in an upper room that received fire and received the ability to speak the gospel in every language around them. And the gospel explodes across the world from 120 who were fully alive. It wasn't 10,000 who were halfway alive. It was 120 who were fully alive that transformed the globe. And what we're seeing today is the results of what it means to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands that are halfway alive. And you know the results of that? Exile. Why? Because in Revelation 3, he says, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. That's what he says. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'll throw you up. I'd, I'd rather you be cold than lukewarm. We've, we've settled for lukewarm because we've painted false pictures and we've given people false hope. What is a false picture and false hope? That you're going to receive all the fruit of the tree of somebody who has been sozoed without ever becoming the stump of somebody who is sozoed. 
We, we've told people that if they'll be an apple tree, they'll produce oranges, which is actually impossible, right? You live kind of, kind of like a Christian. You go to church every now and then, make sure you throw a couple dollars in the offering plate. You do that, and man, you'll be on a one-way ticket to heaven. Here's the issue. I'm, I, listen, heaven's going to be great, but we've got to have some people bringing heaven to the earth. Jesus did not say to pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. When we get there. Right? He didn't say our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We can't wait to get away from this nasty place. He says, no, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His posture was telling people in the earth, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's so close you can taste it. Not, it's so far away you better repent so you can get far away too. It was the kingdom of heaven is here, so you better buckle up because you're about to taste it. And the only way you can do that is to be fully alive. So we have painted false pictures and false hopes of a heaven that's on Jupiter or somewhere in a galaxy far, far away, like a Star Wars movie. And and instead, what we're called to do is allow people to be in such a posture they can begin to inherit the kingdom on earth. I, mean, this, yeah, can, I don't know if you can tell, this, this fires me up. So, so the church is in exile right now. Why? Because Yahweh is done with the show. He's done with the pretending. He's done with us catering to the lost when we should be catering to God. Billy Graham, you know what Billy Graham said? See, this teaching about 50 years ago would have been totally acceptable. But in 2020, because of where the church is, so many people are mad at me right now. And that's okay, I love it, I love it. That's what you, that's what you, if you're mad at this, you need to be mad at this. It's called conviction, okay? But what, what Billy Graham said, and let me, actually, let me pull this up. Let me pull this up. My dad, I gotta give my dad uh, credit for this quote this morning. But check this out, Billy Graham said this, our society, now this, this is years ago, okay? Our society tries to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God. Our society tries to avoid any possibility of offending anyone except God. I just, I, I've, I've been in, in conversations and meetings where we sit around and we plan things to make sure we don't offend anybody in the church. And, and I wonder, and I wonder, because I know this is happening in every, almost every church in America, this happens. I wonder if while we're in the pursuit of trying not to offend people, we're actually in the pursuit simultaneously of offending God. Uh, us, us playing a, you know, a Coldplay, Justin Bieber, whatever you want to say, us playing a secular song in services is going to reach unbelievers. But while we're reaching unbelievers, are we offending God? who, by the way, just to clear this up theologically, because you'll never hear this from anybody else, who, by the way, is the only purpose for the church getting together at all. 
the, the, the ecclesia, do you know what the ecclesia is? Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're Peter, changes his name, and on this rock, I will build my church. Okay, that word is ecclesia. Do you know what that is? It's legislative body of believers. So when Jesus identifies his church, he's identifying the body of believers. So when we come into the church to have services, I'm not teaching unbelievers or reaching unbelievers in this room teaching. I'm equipping the saints or the body for the reaching of unbelievers. How am I equipping them to reach unbelievers? By being so conquered in the secret place that unbelievers look at them and say, I don't know what's different about you, but I want it. Peter didn't have to lay hands on people. He was so full of the spirit that as he walked down the street, people were getting healed as he passed by. That, that's the more excellent way. That's how you can be still and know that he is God and do amazing ministry at the same time. I don't, we, we, I don't know where we got in this mindset that the only ministry we're capable of doing is the ministry that burns us out and makes our families hate us. But for whatever reason, we bought into that lie. That ministry is burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it, burn it, and then quit when you get too tired. And that's why a lot of pastors are quitting right now. But it was never supposed to be that. Ministry was supposed to be be still and know that I am God. And as you are still, the light exuding from your existence and intimacy is gonna draw the unbelievers who, by the way, have eternity written on their heart that was knit together with a DNA to long for Yahweh. When they encounter someone that's starting to bear the image of Yahweh, their DNA is gonna start stirring and say, that's what I was actually designed for. What does Romans 8 say? It says, all of creation, okay? All of creation includes everything in creation. So that would also include people within creation. I believe. You can, you can argue with that. You can't prove, disprove it. If you can't prove it, you can't disprove it, okay? So Romans 8 says all of creation is standing on tiptoe, yearning for what? A great healing ministry? Yearning for a, a big church with a lot of great programs? Yearning for, for, for a pastor that can do a lot of great TED Talks. Yearning for uh, bounce houses and inflatables and the best coffee on planet Earth and free donuts. No, no, no. You know what it's yearning for? The manifestation of the sons and daughters of Yahweh. You and I being manifested in the image of God as we were designed to bear you and I being manifested in the image of God is actually the answer to a lost creation. How do, you, how do you marry that? How do you marry that idea with the fact that we are called to reach the lost? Jesus tells them as he's at, at the end of the book of Matthew, as he's about to ascend, he says, uh, I've got the keys. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. How do you marry go and make disciples of all nations with all nations or creation is standing on tiptoe waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. This is a huge thing to marry together. Huge thing. Because you've got the call to disciple nations, but then you've got Paul coming in in Romans 8 on the back end and telling you how we're going to disciple nations. Do you know how we're going to disciple nations? We're going to be so manifested as sons and daughters, image bearers of Yahweh, that nations are going to see the image 
through us, reflected through us of the one that called it into existence in the first place. And when they begin to see us and see the image of Yahweh flowing through us, they're gonna look at us and say, that's what I was designed for. And our transformation into who we're designed to be is gonna give the creation permission to be transformed into what it was designed to be. That's how we're gonna change the globe. Not having great ministries, but we're gonna be so confident conquered in intimacy that we're going to have great ministries. You with me? All right, man, I should have preached on that verse, but here we go. We're going to keep going a little bit. We're not going to go too far. I'm going to just keep going until the Lord tells me to stop. Man, this is good. So he says, all, verse 15, all who pass by jeer at you, they scoff and insult beautiful Jerusalem saying, is this the place called most beautiful in all the world? and joy of all the world, all your enemies mock you. They scoff and snarl and say, we have destroyed her at last. We have long awaited for this day and it is finally here. But it is the Lord who did just as he planned. He has fulfilled the promises of disaster he made, a long, made long ago. He has destroyed Jerusalem without mercy he has caused her enemies to gloat over her and has given them power over her. Cry aloud before the Lord, O walls of beautiful Jerusalem. Let your tears flow like a river day and night. This is the cry to lament. Give yourselves no rest. Give your eyes no relief. Rise during the night and cry out. Pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. Lift up your hands in prayer, pleading for your children, for in every street they are faint and hungry. O Lord, Think about this. Should you treat your own people this way? I mean, this, this is getting deep right here. Listen to this language. Should mothers eat their own children, which is what was happening at the time of their exile. This, this is how desperate they got in a moment of exile. Should mothers eat their own children, those they once bounced on their knees? Should priests and prophets be killed within the Lord's temple? See them lying in the streets, young and old, boys and girls, killed by the swords of the enemy. You have killed them in your anger, slaughtering them without mercy. He's, just, he's being raw with the Lord, crying out. You have invited terrors from all around as though you were calling them to a day of feasting. In the day of the Lord's anger, no one has escaped or survived. The enemy has killed all the children whom I carried and raised." whom I carried and raised. Chapter three, I'm almost done. Let's go to verse 19. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. Verses 1 through 18, he's crying out deeper in anguish, okay? But I, this is what I want to get to today. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Ready? Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. 
his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. 25, the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. How can he say that? Because of everything they're going through. He says the Lord is good to those who depend on him. The fact that every single person around him cannot say of themselves that the Lord has been good to them is not because the Lord ever changed his goodness. It's because they haven't been those who depend on him. I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear any of this as the Lord just woke up one day because this is what people think. Is that the, and this is what a lot of stuff is being taught in some places. That the Lord just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm in a bad mood today, let's send you in exile. No, 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 no. He gave them a law and said, if you will just be my people, I'll take care of you. I'll keep you protected. I'll be a refuge. You'll be provided for. I'll do all this stuff for you. You'll be the first, not the last, the head, not the tail, above only and not beneath, the lender, not the borrower. That's what he promises them in Deuteronomy. He says all that stuff. And there was one caveat, one caveat. If you will be my people and obey my commands. But obeying my commands was all rooted in just simply, if you will be my people. Because at the end of the day, he wanted Genesis 1-2 again. Genesis 1 and 2 again. He wanted a walk in the cool of the day with those he designed and created to be in relationship and covenant with him. And so he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus says, I will overcome, or I have overcome the world. He's saying the same thing in the Old Testament. The Lord is saying, in this world there's going to be those around you who have evil motives, who, ha- who make bad decisions, who are against you, but as long as you are my people, you will rest under the shadow of my wings. So don't read the book of Lamentations and other books and think the Lord just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to be mean to them. No, 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 no. The Lord is allowing them to taste the results of their unfaithfulness. They're in exile not because of the Lord being mean. They're in exile because they turned away from the shadow of his wings. They broke covenant, decided they could do this better on their own, and now they're tasting the result of what happens when you try to do it on your own. So Jeremiah writes in Lamentations 3, 25, The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of his discipline. Let them sit alone in silence beneath the Lord's demands. Let them lie face down in the dust, for there may be hope at last. Let them turn the other cheek to those who strike them and accept the insults of their enemies. 
for no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, remember, in response to their unfaithfulness, okay? Doesn't just wake up one day and say, bam, grief, okay? They, they're experiencing grief on their own choices, from their own choices, okay? Just to clear that up. So, though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. Sound familiar? Unfailing, unconditional, agape in the Greek. Because of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. He does not enjoy hurting people or cause them or causing them sorrow. Skip ahead to 37. Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? Then why should we, mere humans, complain when we are punished for our sins? Woo! Right? The New Testament says like this, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Why should we, mere humans, complain when we are punished for our sins? Uh, we, we have a daughter. She's awesome, growing like a weed. It's like wake up the next day, she's five feet taller. But uh, we have a daughter, and as she grows up, uh, there's more opportunities for me and Jordan to um, discipline her because of bad decisions that she makes, especially now, once she's getting to the age, now that she's getting to the age that she knows what she's choosing, there's many opportunities to bring discipline or correction. But every time we bring discipline, it's in response to a bad decision. And, and I, I want to clear this up. I want to hit this, okay? We don't wake up at any point and say, you know what? Let's just go discipline her. That's insane. We don't do that. But if she runs out into the street, when we tell her don't run out into the street and a car has to dodge her, guess what's going to happen? Discipline. Why? Because she made the choice to be disobedient to my command. Now, why is it such a big deal that she's disobedient to my command? Because my commands were to bring her into life and goodness. So discipline is a great thing. Why? Because Yahweh is reordering our steps back into alignment with the way that is going to bring us the greatest, most fulfilled joy, love, and happiness that we would ever have because it's within covenant with the one who he himself is agape love. Okay? So why should we mere humans complain when we are punished for our sins? That's a good thing. We need to be corrected so that we don't live in our sins. Discipline is a great thing. So what's happening in 2020? I'm not, I'm not telling you the Lord sent the, sent the plague. It's not what I'm telling you. What I am telling you is I believe we're tasting a big cup of punishment. Or let me say it like this because I know people are going to take that and just run wild with it. Not punishment because Yahweh's mad and he's throwing his wrath at us. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about, I think discipline would be a better word. We're tasting a big cup of the consequences of years and years and years and years of not doing the one thing at all. 
you know, grow, uh, for the past 20 years, this is what I've heard at conferences. This is what I've heard around big circles and stuff like that in church leadership. This is what I've heard. What can we do to reach the lost? I've heard that. If I had a dime for every single time I heard that phrase, I'd be the richest person on planet Earth. I could buy Amazon. What can we do to reach the lost? That's, that's not a bad th- thought. It is a bad thought when it's married with the reality that I have never at a conference, never in church leadership circles heard the conversation, how can we reach God more effectively? Because again, I will remind you, this isn't my personal belief, this is scripture, okay? I'm just teaching you scripture, that the church is not within the building when we're doing church services, that is not the place to reach the lost. We might reach, we had somebody get saved a couple weeks ago. I wasn't preaching a salvation message. So when Jesus gets present, he's probably gonna save a lot of people. When he's lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him, right? But when I plan sermons or when the Lord gives me sermons, do you know what I'm not thinking about? How is this gonna relate to the lost? Because that's, what, that's not what I'm doing. I'm equipping the saints. I can't equip the saints and cater to the lost at the same time. You're going church leaders, you're gonna have to choose. Church attendees and members, you're gonna have to choose. Are you gonna be in a body that is outward focused while the inner is decaying? Or are you gonna be a part of a body where the inner is being so transformed that it actually begins to transform the outward? I I think if the body within the church could actually get sozo saved, born again, we would reach the lost on a level we never reached the lost while we were trying to reach the lost. Why? Because right now we're offering them gift cards to come to church. Then they would see somebody that's fully alive and compared to the full death that they're tasting being apart from God, they're gonna look at that person, you and I, and say, if that is what fully alive is, I want some of that. It's easy. Every single person was made to bear the image of God. So it is natural for every person to bear the image of God. That is what they're naturally designed to do. For them to be lost is actually unnatural. I know I'm messing with some people's theology. For them to be lost is actually unnatural for them. Unnatural. Their natural design is to be image bearers. So reaching the lost isn't difficult. Let me say it like this. Reaching the lost is difficult, is difficult, if we're trying to reach anything within them other than the image-bearing capacity. So if I start bearing the image that they too were designed to bear, something on the inside of them, that originality is gonna start calling out and saying, that's what I was made for. That's what I was made for. But if all I'm trying to do is put some lipstick on them so that they look transformed, they're never going to fully be transformed because they're never going to be exposed to the image that they were designed to be exposed to to actually be transformed, right? And so he says, why should we mere humans complain when we are punished for our sins? Instead, verse 40, chapter 3, let us test and examine our ways, okay? This is, this is, I'm gonna wrap this up. This is what I believe in the 2020 American church. This is what we need to be doing. You ready? 
let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to give God in heaven and say, excuse me, let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven us. You have engulfed us with your anger and chased us down and slaughtered us without mercy. You have hidden yourself in a cloud so our prayers cannot reach you. You have discarded us as, re- as excuse me, as refuse and garbage among the nations. Okay, okay. Verse 54, so that sounds really harsh, right? Right, he's crying out in lament to the Lord and says, Lord, we've sinned against you. What does he say? He says, uh, let us examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hands and say, all right, and what he's saying here is not, again, focused on the nature of God. It's focused on the nature of the ones who have sinned, right? So he says, let us, the ones who have rebelled, look at God, lift our hands and say, we have sinned and rebelled, so let's acknowledge our sin and rebellion and acknowledge that you haven't forgiven us. Why hasn't he forgiven us? Because we haven't turned from our sin and rebellion, all right? So you gotta read all this in context. In context, you have engulfed us with your anger, chased us down, and slaughtered us without mercy, hidden yourself in a cloud so our prayers cannot reach you. You have discarded us as refuse and garbage among the nations. Why did he do that? He didn't do it. We did it because of our sin and rebellion. All he did was fulfill the promise. Now remember, this is before the cross. It's still the Old Testament. So again, you gotta keep it in context. But all he did for Jerusalem and Israel, all he did was come through on his promise. His promise was, if you'll be my people, I'll be your God. You'll be the head, not the tail, et cetera, et cetera. But if you turn away from me, I will let you follow the way that you turn away from or that you turn away to. So what Jeremiah is telling them is to acknowledge that Yahweh has actually fulfilled his promise to them. They may not like it, but Yahweh has fulfilled his promise to them when they turned away from him to acknowledge it. But this is what he says. Skip ahead to 57. Uh, 55, excuse me. Um, 54. Uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm, I don't have any notes today. I'm just going, going by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So he says all that. And then verse 54, he says, the water rose over my head and I cried out, this is the end. But. And, and this right here, this right here is the only point in the entire book of Lamentations that we get something from the Lord in response. Are you ready for this? This is, this is amazing. So the water rose over my head and I cried out, this is the end. We're garbage, we're refuse among the nations. Feel like you've hidden yourself in a cloud so our prayers can't even reach you. You've engulfed us with your anger, chased us down, all that stuff, because we've sinned and we've rebelled. We did this, and now we're tasting it, and I feel like this is the end. Verse 55, but I called on your name, Lord, from deep within the pit. You heard me when I cried, listened to my pleading, hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called and you told me. 
Okay, This is the only time we get a quote from the Lord in this entire book. You ready? You came when I called, and you told me, do not fear. Do not fear. He delights in showing mercy. His mercy and grace should have run out. His love should have run out. He gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But he is so enthralled with us and so in love with us. And this is on the other side of the cross, okay? So a lot of this stuff we can't even necessarily fully say applies to us per se in the same sense because we're on the other side of the blood, okay? But a lot of the truth in this still very much applies, which is why I'm teaching this. Right? A lot of the reasons when they say we've sinned and rebelled, but we feel like you haven't hurt us, we feel like you haven't forgiven us, all that stuff is, is the process of getting forgiveness. In the Old Testament, wasn't just crying out and asking for forgiveness. There was a process to it. But because of exile, that process has been broken down. And where they do the process has been broken down. And so what we have to do is understand a couple of things, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Hopefully you're still with me. That in Lamentations 3, remember the only words he speaks in the entire book is do not fear. Do not fear. Why? Because Jeremiah reminds us of this as he's talking about what he reminds himself. And it's that in verse 22 of chapter 3, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness and his mercies begin afresh each morning. His faithful love never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Do not fear. Do not fear. I want to speak a couple of prophetic words, and then we're going to wrap it up and be done. And I know this has been a lot heavier than maybe something normal, and I say that, and then it's actually really not that much heavier than, than um, something normal. But um, I'm going to move this out of the way because I just feel like I want to stand to say this. Um, I don't, I'm going to be held accountable one day as your shepherd, which if you're watching this today, I am your shepherd, okay? And I take that responsibility uh, not lightly. I take it with full um, realization of the weight of that. But one day when I stand before the Lord, and even today as I stand before the Lord, I'm held accountable for what I didn't say to you because I was afraid it would offend you. I, I, really, I think the Lord would rather me, and I, I, I'm, I'm just speaking, okay? I think the Lord would rather me say too much than not say enough. I, I think the Lord would rather me dare to believe than to withhold just in case. And so this is, what I'm, this is what I'm daring to believe. I'm daring to believe that as you and I begin to realize, and why am I speaking? And here's the other thing people, people say all the time. Why are you speaking this to us when it sounds like you're really talking to leaders? I'm not just talking about talking to leaders because if you're born again, you're just as much of a leader in the church as somebody with a mic. 
okay? So that's why it sounds like that, because you are a leader. You're not just somebody who attends a church. You're a leader. You're a leader. You're not just somebody who's watching today. You're, you're a son or daughter of the king who is watching today being equipped for what? The work of the ministry. That's what all saints are called to, okay? So I, I'm going to be held accountable for what I don't deliver. And as the Lord began to give me this this morning, I began to feel it burning within me in the, in the reality that what we are seeing right now, what we're seeing right now is a result of us settling for religion when we were designed to keep going until we got to relationship. We settled for religion because it was easy. Religion doesn't require faith. It doesn't require trust. It doesn't require belief. It requires you to do the right things, to say the right things, and show up most of the time. That's what religion calls. It's easy. That's why there's so many different religions that are actually doing religion a lot better than us. Right? Religion's easy. But for most, most of believers today, we have settled for religion, and Christianity is not a religion. It is not a religion. Jesus didn't come and die on a cross and rise again so that we could have a great religion. In fact, he died at the hands of those in religion. His early apostles were not the religious people. They were the ones the religious people didn't want to be around them. They were the normal people. Ironically, the normal people heard the invitation into covenant and said yes. The religious people heard the invitation into covenant and said, covenant and said crucify him. This is the magnitude of where we are today. The pretenders, the religious ones, cried out, kill him. The handful of authentic ones, the handful of authentic ones, inherited fire. Inherited the keys. So I want to ask you today, are we, and I say this cautiously, but are we as believers today, are we crying out, crucify him? Or are we hearing things like the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. Are we hearing those things and saying, crucify him? Or are we hearing those things and say, saying, let's go? You know, G Jesus, we, I, the Lord corrected me with this, and this is what I'm going to end on. The Lord corrected this in me, um, I guess it was a week ago or so. But you know the phrase where Jesus says, at the end, there'll be people that come to him and say, uh, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, you know, et cetera. And he's going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Have you, you know, you kind of know that verse. I've taught on that a few times. It hit me. I, I used to teach, and not that this is wrong. It's just not 100% in line. And so the Lord was bringing a little correction in this. And I want to just speak this over you in, in regards to this message. Okay. Did you know prophecy and healing, and everything that he lists there is a gift of the Holy Spirit? See, I used to say, I used to say, by Jesus saying that, 
those who prophesy my name, all that stuff, are, uh, depart from me, I never knew you. He's speaking to unbelievers who were doing prophecy and healing and ministry just in a false name. And the Lord corrected me in this and said, no, 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 no. All that stuff is actually only accessible by way of a gift from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit. So it's not talking about unbelievers who are doing things that they really shouldn't be doing. He's talking about people who have been filled with the Spirit and given gifts that have rearranged their lives to be focused on what they do with their gift rather than falling in love with the one who gave them the gift in the first place. Because what does he say? He says, depart from me. Not, he doesn't say, come on in, you did some awesome ministry. Come on in, you threw a couple bucks in the tithe offering. That's not what he, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. That word knew is not just a, a general knowledge. It's an intimate knowledge. Depart from me, we never had intimacy. But Lord, didn't we, we, we prophesied in your name? We cast out demons in your name. We exploded our churches in your name. And he's saying, yeah, but we never had intimacy. He desires intimacy way more than what you can give to the kingdom. Because your intimacy will begin to unlock what you were designed to give to the kingdom. Do you see how this works? It's like, Josh, I've heard this, I've heard this, I've heard this. No, we haven't. We haven't heard this. And if we've heard it, it's gone in one ear and out there. Let he who has an ear hear. What, what that phrase is saying when Jesus says that more than any other phrase that he says in his entire ministry is, if you hear this and understand it, you better respond. That's what he's saying. Let he who has an ear hear. What we've done is we've heard it, we've let it go in one ear, out the other, and we keep living our lives on the priority list. And so we'll say, God is first, family second, whatever's third, when reality is work is first, family is second, and God is way down here getting the scraps. And in Malachi, he rebukes them because they were giving him the scraps of their offering. And he says, I'd rather you not bring me an offering at all if it's going to be the worst of what you have. I only want what you have to offer if it's the best of what you have because I give you the best of what I have. He tells them, you have robbed me. And they say, how have we robbed you? Because you haven't given me the tithes and offerings You've brought me sick animals. You've brought me the ones that you didn't want. You've brought me what you had left after you paid your bills. That's how you've robbed me. It was my money I gave you in the first place. It was my animals I gave you in the first place. And I blessed you with it, hoping that in response and in covenant, you would turn around and give me the first and best of what you have. And instead you gave me the last and worst because me and you, we were never in covenant in the first place. And that's Christianity. It's a covenant. It's not a religion. You couldn't go to church enough times to be in the covenant. Because it's not about your church attendance. It's about your yes. That is a lot harder than doing the religion thing. That requires your old life to die. Religion only requires your old life to put on a mask Sunday from 10 to 1130. 
And it's a lot easier to put on a mask that you can take off when you walk out the doors than it is for you to let who you were die and never pick it back up again. And that decision right there that people refuse to make is exactly why one third of the church in America has disengaged with the church in 2020 throughout this exile. You know why they've disengaged? Because when the church closed, nothing in their lives changed except now they don't even have to put on their mask anymore. I can finally be who I am. I can stop pretending because we don't got to go to church. And I had to pretend like crazy when I went to church because if I didn't trick them into thinking I was what I was not, they would condemn me and kick me out for who I am. So we've got to have churches that embrace vulnerability, but then we've also got to have people who are coming into a family that is about the one thing, not about a thousand different things except the one thing. He doesn't care what we do unless it first and foremost goes through the idea that we're going to sit at his feet and listen to everything that he says and do the good portion that will not be taken from us. He doesn't care what we do unless it first goes through that. But if it goes through that first, then he is inundated in everything that we do. So we've got a decision to make. I'm going to wrap it up. We've got a decision to make. This might be a little heavier. Keep hitting this mic. This might be a little heavier than normal, but I think this is a good Sunday to do this because most of you watching this are at home watching this. Probably around your secret place if you have one. Hear hear this from a spiritual father today. Hear this from a spiritual father today. If something doesn't change, if something doesn't change, This thing is going to take a trajectory that none of us ever thought. And it's not going to be because of God being mad. It's not going to be because he stopped being good. It's going to simply be because we made the decision to settle for religion rather than covenant. And when you settle for religion, what you're doing, this is why it's so dangerous, is you're heading for death while thinking you're alive. Religion is deadly deadly because while you have a virus killing you on the inside because you can't see it on the outside you think everything's fine until you get to the point where it's too late I have not preached a message like this I don't think since the church started but I feel this in me today I feel this in me today we have got to get sozoed. We've got to get saved because there is a lost and dying world right outside of these doors, right outside of where you're watching this that needs you not with a good message, that needs you not with knowing everything there is to know about scripture, but that needs you fully alive, that needs you born again, that needs you sozoed. And until we get sozoed, we really need to be careful trying to do a bunch of ministry. But when we get sozoed, I promise you, we'll start doing a bunch of ministry most of the time without even trying. Because when you have a fire on the inside of you, it causes everybody else in town to be drawn to what they're hearing. Acts 2, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind that blew through the place. And they start speaking 
the revelations of God in every native language that was present in the city. And so as every native person from all these different areas that were in town for Shavuot, Pentecost, as they hear this language, they start running saying, what is this? We've never heard this frequency before. We've never heard this fire coming out of a voice before. We've never heard this revelation about God before. What were they not doing? ministry. They were in an upper room for 10 days, fasting and praying with the doors locked. What happened as a result of intimacy in a room? 3,000 people get saved in a day. And it wasn't because Peter woke up that morning and said, we're going to save 3,000 people today. It's because Peter woke up that morning and said, if it takes me the rest of my life, I'm not leaving this room until he gives me what he promised. See, do you see how this works? So we, we need to stop stop with the, with the podcast. If, that, if that's all you ever get from the Lord, you're not getting anything from the Lord. A podcast is not from the Lord. Unless, unless you have a secret place that the podcast is simply gas for. But if, if, if my voice is the only voice you ever hear from the Lord, you're not hearing from the Lord right? Because all I desire is not to tell you what to think or what to believe. I desire to teach you how to think and how to get to the place where you know what you believe, right? And so I want to encourage you this week, this is what I'm doing. We're on vacation. I'm going to get up in the mornings and take walks with the Lord on the beach. It's going to be unbelievable. But as you're watching this and as it's about to turn off, I want to encourage you, like, what, what are we doing with covenant? Can you look at your life and legitimately say that you are living in covenant? Can you do that? Because if you can, if you can, it's time to go deeper. That's what clear vision is all about. The end of this year, harvest is coming. It's time to go deeper. But if you haven't, like the majority of people watching this, if you haven't ever been in covenant, this is your moment. I'm not going to tell you to repeat a prayer. I want you to go in the secret place. And spend time with the Lord and let him sozo you. Let him save you. Let him heal you and preserve you so that you can be the image bearer that you were designed to be. And then I promise you, we're gonna start seeing cities saved in a day. Maybe you don't tithe. Maybe you throw a couple bucks in the, in the bucket every now and then just to feel better about yourself. Listen, I'm gonna encourage you. A tithe is not just 10%. It's the first 10% of what you make. So if you're given the last 10% or what you have left over or 3% or whatever, that you're not tithing. You're feeling better about yourself, but that's not what it is. If you're in covenant, it's the first 10% of what you have before you spend it on food, before you spend it on gas, before you spend it on your bills, you give the first and best portion to the Lord. That's what the tithe is. Maybe you don't do that. This is your moment to do that. Dreamcolumbia.com slash give on the app. You can text the number in the description right there. There's a bunch of ways to give, but this is your moment to do that. Do not let yourself be fed and then rob the Lord of what he was trying to give you through a message like this. Don't do it. I don't say that because we need your money. I say that because I need you to be fully alive, and that includes your tithe. Maybe you give 10% consistently, but the Lord's calling you to a higher level of obedience. I say go. Maybe he's calling you to give a gift. I say go. 
right? Maybe. I, people, people ask me this all the time. You know, well, brother, I don't, I don't tithe to the church because I give to the, you know, uh, uh, Salvation Army or I give to the homeless. All that stuff's great, and you should continue to do that. But just to be clear, that's not your tithe. Your tithe is the first 10% that is given to the house of the Lord. It's given to the Lord through the house of the Lord. And it's the house that you're being fed from. Okay? But, so maybe you've never done that. This is your moment. I don't know how you need to respond to this. If you need to be sozoed, if you need to renew your covenant, if you need to start tithing, if you need to come get plugged into this family here in person so that you can become all that you were designed to become. I don't know what this means. Maybe you're a pastor and you're struggling with the idea that if you preach what the Lord's put on your heart, you know the big givers are gonna leave or the deacons are gonna be mad or whatever. I'm telling you, you are not called. You're not gonna be responsible for how people respond to you. This is what he tells Ezekiel. The only thing you're gonna be responsible for is whether or not you release what the Lord has put within you. That's the only thing you'll be responsible for. And I promise you, if you trust him by being faithful to what he is showing you, not only will he begin to supply for all of your needs according to his riches and glory, he's gonna set you up to be able to do ministry on a level of rest that you've never done before because you're not speaking one thing to please other people while internally being pulled apart you're releasing what's internal and not caring what the response is gonna be. That's rest. So I don't know how you need to respond to this, but I'm gonna pray. And then as this is shut off, as this live stream ends, I want you to go into the secret place at some point today or this week and allow this stuff to start just rolling in you and see how you need to respond to it. Lord, I pray right now, I pray right now that you would allow us to respond to this how we need to respond. God, bring your church out of exile, but do it the right way. Let us be sozoed, so saved that the world around us sees us and without us saying a word, they know something's different. Let our churches be sozoed in the same way in your name. Amen, amen. Before I give, or before we uh, wrap it up, <laughs> before I give, uh, talking about giving, I, uh, I do wanna just say this, this is very prophetic. Uh, this week, twice, we've had our power shut off between six and seven in the morning. Twice this week, the power has been shut off between six and seven in the morning, twice. Um, that has never happened. We've been in our house for almost four years, never happened. Um, or actually exactly four years this month. And, um, and the Lord started showing me, the number six is the number of man, and the number of seven is the number of perfect completeness. It's the divine number perfection. And, um, and what the Lord started showing me is that right now, right now, and I'll let you take this to the secret place, there is a disconnect of power between where man is and where completeness and wholeness and perfection is. There's a disconnect. But Yahweh is coming to restore the power. Yahweh's coming to restore the power. And all you need to do is be still. When our power's gone out, you know what we've done? We've sat around and waited for the power company to come restore it. And every, both times by seven o'clock, it's been restored. Both times. What's he saying? He's saying, there's no, you don't need to do anything. You need to be still. You need to be still and trust that the one that the power is flowing from 
is coming to restore it as long as you'll be still and know. So I bless you with that. Take it to the secret place. We love you so much. Thank you for how faithful you've been to this. Those of you that have, and, uh, and those of you that are new to this, thank you for tuning in today. I'm gonna ask you to share it with people you need to share this with. And, uh, and we'll be back next Sunday with kind of our, our normal routine. So we love you guys. We bless y'all. Have a good week. See ya.